The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Our guest this week is the CEO of DIY Media Group, the parent company for music, tech, and book distribution brands Disc Makers, Book Baby, and Merchly. You can find out more about his work by following our guests at T. Van Veen on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash Tony Van Veen. We are happy to welcome Tony Van Veen onto the Break the Business Podcast. Hello, sir. Hey, Ryan. Great to be with you. It's great to be with you, too. As I've read about your work, Tony, I've and, and I might be oversimplifying what has been a pretty illustrious career in the music industry for you. But one common thread that I often see with your career is you navigating music companies through massive changes in the industry. And I want to start this interview off by with one of those examples. All right. So the year is 2008 and your company buys the music indie distribution platform CD Baby. And then, boom, one of the worst economic recessions in American history hits, and the industry and the economy as a whole are on the cusp of incredible change. Can you take us back to that time and how you were able to move this company forward in that environment? It was really scary, actually. Uh, we, we closed the deal uh, on August 4th, 2008, just as Lehman Brothers was slipping into bankruptcy and and like maybe a week before the whole market crashed. We had just taken on uh, $25 million in debt, borrowed $25 million to do the acquisition. This is a number that's been out there. Uh, Derek Sivers has talked about this number, who was Derek Sivers was the owner of CD Baby. And um, like immediately as we've taken on this debt, we have, you know, all these covenants with our banks and revenues decline significantly and immediately we start blowing all sorts of covenants and and we're looking and this is not just cd baby this was also on the disc maker side uh with our business we saw revenues decline like every other company in the economy except we're brand new like up to our necks in debt (laughs) and so we were you know our exec team we were looking at the situation and it really looked like this is not just kind of a cyclical uh, change you know change that, that that would pass over time we we saw that this was really kind of long-term structural impact on the economy and so we said the only choice that we have is really to tighten our belt and so we were really quick to um, react with cost cutting by October we had you know laid off I think 30 people by the following January or February, we had laid off a hundred. And that was really, for me, I've been in business over 30 years. That was the single toughest period of my life ever from, from 2008 to, uh, you know, through 2009, going through those cost cuts, having to sit in conference room with a group of people around a table, looking them in the eye, telling them, look, this is, this has got nothing to do with you. You've done nothing wrong, but this business cannot uh, afford to keep you employed anymore. And as tough as that was, we had to go through that because 
there were another, in addition to those people who were laid off, there were another 500 people at the company between Dismakers and CD Baby whose mortgage and rent payments dependent on the company surviving. And so, you know, I had to make sure that we did what we could to make it through the recession. And so we did, we tightened our belts. And, um, and one of the things that happens in a recession is sometimes it looks like you're going sideways or you're even going backwards, but your competitors end up going backwards even more. And so what happens is if you can make it through the recession, all of a sudden when you come out, you come out stronger, you actually gain market share um, during that recession. And by 2010, we were back in the game, uh, sales and revenues were growing, new clients coming to CD Baby were growing, and we started really building the company, um, expanding the services into publishing collections, into YouTube monetization, marketing services over the years from between 2010 and uh, 2019. Uh, and at that point in time, uh, 2019, we were owned by a private equity group and uh, the company was put in the market and sold. And um, my exec team and I basically acquired the physical assets of the company, which the buyer was not interested in. So that was Dismakers and Merchly and Book Baby. It's an incredible story. And it it's, uh, let me tell you the thing about it that really surprises me the most. All right. I'm thinking 2008 and we're eight years removed at that point from what could have been considered you know, one of the biggest collapses in the history of the music industry where, you know, the recorded music revenues go down to less than half of their peak of what they were in 2000. And a lot of people yeah. were wondering if there was ever, you know, if, if, if the music industry was even going to be able to survive, you know, particularly you know, in the sense of is it going to exist as we know it? Is it going to be a place where people can still sort of make profit and make art and make a living from it? And so what made you and your group in 2008, eight years removed from you know, that collapse and, and seeing a recession on the horizon, say to yourselves, we think we can make a bet on music. We think that there's still something here and that there's growth to be had. We were in the music business, you know, with, with, with Dismakers. I started at Dismakers in 1987, right out of college. I played in punk rock bands. We pressed our own records. I wanted to work in the music business. And so I happened to live in Philadelphia. Dismakers was in Philadelphia. It was a small record pressing plant back in 1987. But the company was founded in 1946 and actually had migrated through all, every technology format that you can imagine from 78 RPM shellac discs to 45 uh, RPM singles to LPs to eight tracks, cassettes, CDs. And, and so our DNA as a company was, we were not we didn't look at ourselves as being like a record pressing plant or a CD plant. We looked at our job as helping artists get their content to market, regardless of the format. We were agnostic of the technological format. And so I remember when Napster came out in 1999, sitting around and I saw Napster and I'm like, holy crap, if we don't figure out how to offer this or do this for our clients and help them make money with this, we're going to be a dinosaur. We're, we're a disc business. We're going to be a dinosaur. And, um, and obviously, in the early days of Napster, there was no money to be made. It was all peer-to-peer -peer sharing. It was all piracy. Um, Napster eventually got sued into oblivion. But by 2004, the Apple Store launched. And finally, there was a legit way to monetize downloads. 
and uh, CD Baby had been Disc Maker's partner. We were sending our clients to CD Baby to sell their CDs online on the site since about 2001. And Derek Sivers, who was the owner of CD Baby, in 2004 digitized his full CD catalog and delivered it on a few hard drives to Apple. And he was a launch partner with the iTunes store. And so we saw the rise of paid downloads. And by 2008, we, we had, since we were acquired in 2006 by private equity, we had the resources and through our private equity partners, some financial connections to lenders to be able to move us in a big way from physical to digital. So it was really a continuation of just kind of format migration after format migration from, you know, during my career, from vinyl to cassette, from cassette to CD, from CD to download. And then, you know, later on in the, you know, mid-teens from downloads to stream. So I've seen, you know, product life cycles come and go um, quite a bit. And I'm, I'm still here to talk about it. And, and we're glad that you are. And <laughs> I, I want to get more from you on this idea of format, because I think a, a running debate I, uh, my listeners of I have had with guests on this podcast is sort of getting different perspectives on the current state of physical versus digital format for indie artists. And yeah. I figure you're the person to talk to because your resume has plenty of instances of running physical distribution and uh, digital distribution brands. And so I imagine you have a lot of perspective on the role that each of these platforms should play on indie artists. So let's talk about the the mode of distribution that seems to be particularly near and dear to your heart, physical distribution. As this industry becomes more digital than ever, is there a role for physical music distribution for indie artists still? You know, absolutely. I've actually, lately, I've been talking about how physical today to the independent artist is is almost as important as it was in 1999, right before Napster came out. You know, obviously, look, we live in a digital world. We live in a streaming world. Uh, the vast majority of music that I personally consume comes from Spotify. It comes through Spotify. I listen to streaming, you know, every day. Um, and and there's money to be made with streaming, you know, if you're if you're Drake, <laughs> um, or if you're Billie Eilish, uh, when you have millions upon millions of streams. But one of the things that I hear and have been hearing for a number of years now is, for the average independent artist, the streams don't add up to enough for them to really make ends meet from their music, and so they have seen actually a revenue decline from when. They were selling when CDs, for example, the latest physical product, obviously physical medium, when CDs were, were it uh, to now when streams are it, they have actually seen their revenues as independent artists decline. Um, give you an example. To make a $100 profit today as an independent artist from streaming, you need 25,000 Spotify streams. Or you need to sell... 12 CDs at your next gig or seven t-shirts, <laughs> right? The, I mean, the proportions are, 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 are incredible, right? I mean, 12, what, what is easier? Uh, 12 CDs or 25,000 streams. That's a lot of streams. Even right? if, that's, this if you have 10 songs world, on your album, yeah. that's 2,500 people listening to your whole album or 250 people listening to your album 10 times each, right? So, um, so, so, so those proportions, and that's why, 
you know, I keep talking about, and particularly, you know, now that I'm, I'm back really kind of fully committed into the physical media business, um, I, I really have been on a soapbox talking about they need to complement each other. You need to be on the streaming. I'm not a streaming hater. I love streaming. Uh, but as an artist, and as an artist, you need to be there. But you have to look at it almost more like a promo platform and then figure out how can I take those people listening to my streams, you know, get them to my social media channels, get them to like me, follow me, subscribe, and then I can message them to come to my concerts. And then I need to have physical media available T-shirts, CDs, vinyl, even USBs nowadays uh, to monetize my music at a higher level. Well, let's talk more about that because that is another thing that artists talk to me a lot about where they say because we live in this world of streaming where you get six-tenths of a cent per stream and you know you, you need Gener- – Generously. Generously, right. right. And you need you know, Ed Sheeran, Katy Perry type numbers to be able to like actually make real money. Uh, out, out of that side of it. I mean, what would you say to artists who say that recorded music as a product just seems dead now, where at, at its best, the best thing that recorded music can do for my career is basically just serve as a loss leader, an advertisement, a commercial, something that gets me out there that makes people want to go buy my merchandise, see my shows, support my crowdfunding projects, etc. But the idea of individual recorded music as a product that I can sell is gone in the era of streaming and digital is I mean, is that a fair characterization of things or is there still a product role for recorded music in your view it's the same lament that independent artists have had since time immemorial <laughs> you know it's it, i mean it's it look it's rough being an independent artist today it was rough being an independent artist in 2000 it was rough being an independent artist in 1990 in 1980 um it is hard being an independent artist. And by and large, for the first X number of years as an independent artist, unless you're good enough, dedicated enough, and lucky enough to actually get signed and blow up, it frequently is a, a, a situation where financially you have to keep investing. Sometimes you can break even, but you have to you have to reach a certain level of fan notoriety and uh you know to be able to kind of pay back the cost of recording etc on the on the plus side it is cheaper than ever to get your content your music out worldwide in front of an audience of i I don't know what the total streaming audience is right now i guess if you add youtube in billions of people right Mm -hmm. or a billion two billion people uh, between YouTube and all the streaming sites. And so that that costs you almost nothing, or if you just go to YouTube, nothing. Um, and um, and then you have to figure out, okay, now how do I, I got the reach. Now, how do I get them to actually hear me? And then how do I monetize this? Yeah, without a doubt. And it, and, and really, it's going to vary from artist to artist, and uh, each situation is different. But I'm I'm really impressed by the great work that you know Disc Makers does in the physical space. And I'll say this: I've had a lot of artists on this show who've really made some great strides in vinyl, of all things. Uh, vinyl seems to be making a comeback. I've seen a lot of artists who build yeah. vinyl into their crowdfunding campaigns, where if you uh, 
put a certain amount of money into that artist Kickstarter. You can get a special vinyl recording. I've heard about artists now who are making single press, uh, unique bespoke vinyl uh, recordings for fans and, you know, charging a premium for it. But you know, every person gets their own unique vinyl and you can do that now because of advances of technology. Uh, I mean, can you reflect on that vinyl making a comeback? I mean, what year is it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, 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 I'll, I'll tell you personally, I mean, I love vinyl. I listen to vinyl, but this is like the craziest thing ever. I mean, when did you hear ever that you're going, you know, you have a digital technology that's physical, right? CDs. I mean, people talk about going to digital and they talk about streaming and downloads, but don't, don't forget CDs are digital also. It's just on a physical medium. So you go from a physical medium to a digital medium that is non-physical. And then you go back, there is a resurgence of a technology that was invented I think in the late 1940s, right? <laughs> and 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 people are all into it. And to me, that is a, a it, it's just a, a, an effect of kind of the digital pendulum having swung in our general lives so far to to everything digital. You know, digital communications uh, on the phone, digital games on the phone, digital music on the phone. That that there was a lack of connection, human connection that started to happen. And so it's not just vinyl and look, vinyl, vinyl has some advantages. It, it sounds good. Uh, the, the, the 12 inch record jacket artwork is, is incredible to, to see, to read the liner notes. And, and there's kind of a ritual to, playing a vinyl record you slide it out of the jacket it's got a certain smell to it you mm -hmm. drop the stylus on the record and um and so um you know it's it's understandable but look board games are seeing a resurgence and so i think there's a need for human connection and this is one of the things one of the reasons when we sold cd baby that i got into i i decided you know what i know cds are declining and yet I believe in physical products so much that I'm prepared with my exec team to buy this business. You know, I bought I bought a CD plant in 19 in 2019 for crying out loud, right? So, um, but it's the physical connection. You know, I, I hear from artists and they tell me my fans don't want CDs; they don't buy CDs. And my response is, that's true. Not every fan wants CDs. Um, but there are fans who want CDs and there are fans who want vinyl and there are fans who want t-shirts and you can't sell something to everybody. But if you have nothing physical available for sale, you will guarantee, you're guaranteed to sell nothing to anybody, right? And so you need a selection of products. CDs continue to be really economical to make. For a dollar, for two dollars, you can have CDs. Uh, we have an offer with disc makers right now: fifty CDs in jackets for ninety-nine bucks. I mean, how how much cheaper can it get? And then you autograph them, and that autographed CD becomes like a memento to the fan. That like, oh my God, I look at this, I got an autograph. They they're a fan for life. They will never throw that away, even if they listen to your music on Spotify, right? That CD is like it you, just for for ten dollars you sold an autograph basically. It's like Pete Rose selling autographed baseballs, right? 
you get a baseball from Pete Rose, you, you sign, you pay $25, $50, whatever you pay for a signed baseball. I don't know. I've never bought one, but I've seen it happen. And um, uh, you're not going to go out and play catch with that baseball. Mm -hmm. right? You're going to save it. And it's the same thing with physical product. To an extent, the physical product becomes has become kind of a souvenir for the fans who can then tell their children and their grandchildren, hey, I was there. I met them way back when. It's it's just about meeting your fans where you are. Some of those fans want CDs, and because of the work of companies like Disc Makers, I mean, the production cost on CDs is you know almost negligible. So why not create this extra product form? There's a merch component to providing right. CDs, which is cool. And I've seen CDs literally function as business cards too. I, I've seen artists give me business cards that are actually also CDs and you can put them uh, in a CD player and play music. I mean, that's really wild. There's, there's, there's a lot that yep. you can do with physical by giving fans that tactile experience with music that is lost with uh, downloads and streaming. Not that there obviously isn't a place for downloads and streaming. That's, that's the way of the world now, but there's, there's still definitely things that can be done in the physical space. Thanks to companies like disc makers, Tony, this has been awesome. Uh, it makes me want to go listen to some of my vinyl records again, which I'm going to do right now. But <laughs> Let's do it. Before we, uh, before we get in on that though, let me ask you one last question before we let you go this week. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the main question is where to start. Um, <laughs> usually I start here, right? great songs as artists i was an artist back in the day it's easy to fall in love with the songs we write but that doesn't mean they're great and our our boyfriends our girlfriends our mothers may tell us our songs are great that doesn't mean they're great it's really about working on your craft co-writing with others listening to the kinds of songs that are popular not just in your genre but in other genres knowing and learning kind of traditional kind of song craft and song structures because while a great song does not guarantee success a mediocre song guarantees failure and so i find that that you know too often when i when i walk through our plant you know and i may see you know product and it looks great and i listen to it and i'm it's it's so disappointing not because it Recording is bad because nowadays it's actually really affordable to create technically great quality recordings. It's just the songwriting is weak. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, so that is, that's the main tip. I, I'd like to add one other tip. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> most artists, most independent artists, they're done recording, they're done mixing, and they are in an incredible rush to get that product out into the world. And so they come to us and like, how long, you know, how long does it take to make CDs? Two weeks. Oh my God, two weeks. Can you do it faster? Yes. How fast can you do it? I can do it as fast as three days. Okay, that's what I need. And then they, they get it up to CD Baby and they get it up to Spotify and every, and then they're done. And how are people going to find it, right? They don't plan and they don't budget for promotion. And so, you know, it, record labels take months from the time that all the CDs and vinyl records are done till the time that they actually release it in order to properly plan and promote the product. 
they start dropping singles, you know, every few weeks apart or a month apart. Um, they get content out to uh, or review copies out to blogs, et cetera. And, and specifically for independent artists, you know, kind of the guideline is whatever the recording and manufacturing of your product cost you, you should spend that much again on promotion. And most artists don't do that. And, and if you release your product quietly and you don't get behind it, it's never going to take off. And so the second tip that I have is take time to plan and budget for promotion. All right, listeners, you got two excellent tips for the price of one there. That was awesome. Be sure to show some love to disc makers, folks, and follow our guest on Twitter at T Van Veen and at Facebook.com slash Tony Van Veen. Tony, this has been really excellent. I've enjoyed having this discussion with you. This has been just rich and valuable, and I know our listeners have enjoyed it. Thank you so much for your time. Great to be here. I enjoyed it too. And uh Let's go make some more music. Let's do it. And thank you all for listening to the Break the Business podcast.